Welcome to a special edition of Savage Marriage with Phil and Priscilla. And I'm Phil. And I'm Priscilla. You'll be listening to Phil and I read our award-winning book, Savage Marriage, Triumph Over Betrayal and Sexual Addiction. We're releasing the audio version of our book for free, chapter by chapter, every few weeks on this podcast. If you benefited from our ministry, share this podcast with someone else. You'll be glad you did. And here we go. Chapter 7, Freedom from Shame. Let's run with the endurance, the race that is set before us, looking only at Jesus, the originator and perfecter of the faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews 12, 1, 2. If we can share our story with someone who responds with empathy and understanding, shame can't survive. Brene Brown, Daring Greatly, How the Courage to be Vulnerable Transforms the Way We Live, Love, Parent, and Lead. Sitting on the stairs, lacing my shoes, I could see Phil was already dressed and waiting at the kitchen table for our 5.30 walk. He shifted toward me and looked up. You ready to go? Almost. Just a few more minutes to wake up and drink my coffee. Our morning routine of walking around our neighborhood had become a therapy session for us as we shared thoughts, talked about events from our past, and created a safe place to dissect our feelings. Each day as we walked through our pain together, we realized that the more open we were in conversation, the more healing we felt taking place. Early on in these walks, my first instinct had been to let Phil talk. He would go on and on like a babbling brook, the most I've ever heard him share, putting his feelings and thoughts out there where I could see them and relate. The newness of being open with our feelings brought to mind my recent doctor visit and my first ever STD test. I'd felt shame and awkwardness as I had chit-chatted with my doctor Though I'd been seeing her for over 20 years, I hadn't wanted to be there. But what if I have an STD, and I'm not even aware of it? Oh God, is this the way I'm going out of this world? Years earlier, my doctor had asked whether Phil or I had any other sexual partners. I had adamantly told her, no way. I was faithful to Phil and certain he was faithful to me. In my mind, there wasn't a possibility that Phil had been unfaithful. But two days ago, there I'd been, laying on the exam table, my feet up in stirrups, waiting for the exam to be over. I had closed my eyes and thought, Phil should be here with me, telling her what he's been doing. This is his fault, not mine. Shame had grabbed my heart and thrust me into a place of isolation, hiding and embarrassment. I wondered if my doctor was also remembering her question to me from years ago and my emphatic claim that Phil and I were faithful to each other. I had been so concerned about my reputation that I had wanted to hide in my self-righteousness. I hadn't explained why I wanted an STD test or how I'd come to this place in my life. I hadn't mentioned Phil. I had just endured the exam in silence, my shame stifling my voice. Shame had told me I couldn't use my voice to speak the truth and told me it was my fault that Phil had been unfaithful. Lying there, physically exposed, I had needed to bury my feelings. 
As Phil and I walked in the coolness of the Florida morning, I decided to speak about the shame and my feelings of not being protected and defended by him. I felt the tentacles of my bitterness toward him encircling my heart, and I knew I had to be honest and open with my feelings. The sun wasn't up yet, and the darkness felt like a cloak of protection, neither of us able to clearly see each other's face. Phil, I need to be honest with you. The other day at the GYN, I felt so vulnerable lying there, like I was taking on all the blame and had gotten myself into this mess and the need to be tested. I felt so much shame and embarrassment, like it was my fault you went out on me. Phil, you should have been there with me, protecting me by taking the blame for what you did. Priscilla's voice was sober and straightforward, but her slow, emphatic tone clearly showed her painful ache of shame. She was on the verge of crying. My annual physical was in a few days, and I had sheepishly called the doctor's office to have my blood test expanded to include STDs. I remember how I'd felt on the phone, imagining what the nurse was thinking, even though she couldn't even see me. Priscilla's hot description of her shame was disconcerting, as I realized my situation was so minor, insignificant, and momentary by comparison. I wished again I could have a do-over and reclaim my right to be Priscilla's protector. But for the time being, all I could do was express my regret. Priscilla, I'm so sorry. You're right. I should have been there to tell the doctor I was unfaithful to you, and that's the reason you were there to be tested. It wasn't fair for you to bear the weight of that shame. You didn't do anything wrong. It was totally me. I'll never put you in that position again, and if you have to return to the doctor for another test, I'll be there and take responsibility for what I did. Priscilla offered a quiet thank you, wiping the edges of her eyes and nodding in agreement. In the days that followed, I reflected on our conversation about shame and how it made her feel. I was certainly ashamed of my sin against Priscilla and how I disregarded our marriage vows and my place as her protector. My longtime and constant companion had been shame. The first time I'd felt shame was in fifth grade in Middle School East in Leesburg, Florida, a small city of about 15,000 people where kids in first grade would eventually graduate high school with the same classmates. I had been selected to join a higher-level reading class of about eight students, including kids I'd known for what seemed like my whole life. The class was taught by Dr. Burnham, the principal. And on the first day, he asked us to introduce ourselves and share whether our parents were married, separated, or divorced. I froze. My parents had divorced less than a year earlier, and I was ashamed that my mom was now a single mother. In that small town, I didn't have any friends whose parents were divorced. My mom had told me how ashamed she felt to be the only divorced person from the small South Carolina community where she'd grown up. Her tone when talking about her divorce told me I should be ashamed as well. So, when Dr. Burnham asked us to share our home circumstances, my shame rose and took center stage. I didn't know what to say because I didn't want to say divorced, and I wasn't sure what separated meant. But the latter sounded better. I shared that my parents were separated. As the other kids introduced themselves, no one else said their parents were separated or divorced, which made me feel all the more embarrassed, ashamed, and set apart. 
The seed of shame had been planted in my heart early and branched into a pattern of lying any time I felt pressed to expose my shame. I reflected on Priscilla's shame and mine regarding our STD test and about everything I'd vowed to take to my grave. I considered that everybody has something they're hiding in shame, but few people decide to deal with it. They bury the incident and live resigned to the consequences. I made my bed, so now I have to lie in it. The things I'd vowed to take to my grave had happened in my adolescence long before Priscilla knew me. Yet, strangely, the shame still had power over me. I felt that if Priscilla knew my childhood secrets, she wouldn't love me anymore. She'd think I was a pervert, be disgusted with me, and want me to sleep in the guest room. Yes, my shame was attached to things that had happened over 45 years prior. But the power of shame still dominated my thoughts and feelings. It was hard to believe that fact because it made no logical sense. But shame doesn't reside in logic. It lives in our fear that we won't be loved or accepted if people know who we truly are, what we've done, or what's been done to us. At the root of shame is the fear of being rejected by people we love and want to remain attached with. More than anything else, I wanted love and acceptance from Priscilla and to remain attached with her. As a result, I had not shared with her the shameful things on my take-it-to-the-grave list. Over the next several days, I pondered my childhood shame and asked God to help me be free. As I searched the Bible for an answer, I saw that Jesus had felt shame and humiliation on the cross. Most paintings depict him covered with a loincloth, but many scholars say he was completely naked on the cross in view of his mother, family, friends, and foes. How humiliating and shameful it must have been to not only hang there naked, but to have been beaten to a bloody pulp before even picking up the cross to carry to his destination of death. Pulling from various translations of Hebrews 12 too, I found that the Bible says Jesus despised the shame of the cross, scorned the shame, looked down on the shame, conquered the shame, and even disregarded the shame. In other words, He didn't allow shame to have power over him to any degree. Jesus experienced shame as people do, and yet he chose to view shame as unimportant because he knew the power shame can have over us and how the power can debilitate or even destroy God's purposes for our lives. I realized Christ did not allow shame to take hold of him because he knew the purpose for his earthly life. In the same Hebrews passage, I read how Jesus conquered shame. He was able to endure the cross and despise the shame because of the joy set before him. He saw the big picture for his earthly life, what God wanted to do through his death and resurrection, and he rejoiced. Anything other than that purpose Jesus despised, put off, threw down, disregarded, and made small so it would not overshadow or overtake his purpose. Shame had dwelled in a secret place in my soul for a long time, demanding that I hide for fear of anyone knowing the truth and no longer respecting, admiring, or loving me. The same feeling of shame had kept Priscilla's mouth shut at the GYN's office. But when she had decided to talk about what she'd felt, she had taken power over her shame. As I listened to her feelings and showed her empathy and compassion, she wiped her eyes and I could see the shame visibly leave her. Somehow, 
Her pulling the shame out of darkness had weakened its grip on her and made it seem smaller. I recognized I had allowed my shame to seem bigger than God's purpose for me and bigger than my ability to see that purpose, consequently giving shame even more power over my thoughts and feelings. I needed to see my life as God saw it. Everything else by comparison, including my shame, needed to be small. I needed to pull my shame and my take-it-to-the-grave list out of darkness by sharing them with Priscilla. The next morning, I rose early, anxious about pushing into wounds I had kept hidden for so many years. Priscilla joined me shortly, sitting down at the kitchen table and gesturing toward my open journal. Looks like you've been writing a lot this morning. What's going on? I glanced up briefly, putting my pen to the side. I've been thinking about our conversation about how you felt in the doctor's office. You know, the the part about the shame. Priscilla nodded. Tell me about it. I've had the same feelings of shame about things that go back many years to when I was a kid growing up with just my mom and sister. There are some things in my life I'm really ashamed of. Things I've always said I would take to my grave. Out of fear, I've never shared them with anyone, and I've been afraid to share them with you, afraid you wouldn't love or respect me. I know I was just a kid when the stuff happened, and I didn't even know you then, but they've demanded secrecy in my life. I shook hands with them, agreeing I'd keep them buried. But every time someone gets close to these areas, like in discussion or something I see in a movie, I shudder and want to run and hide. I don't want to fear shame anymore, but I feel like the devil has told me that what I've done is uncommon, weird, perverted, and very sinful. So I've kept them hidden from everyone, including you. Now, more than I want to hide, I want to be free from the past and the power of shame. I feel that God wants me to start by sharing my list with you. Hearing Phil say he needed to share something usually brought tension in me as I wondered whether he was planning to drop another bomb. But knowing he wanted to share things he'd had held on to since childhood brought a totally different feeling and dimension to our morning conversation. Although I had no idea he needed to have this conversation, God sure knew. I became increasingly aware that God was moving in our discussions from what had happened recently to what had happened early on. The childhood soil we'd been planted in had affected more of our lives than we realized, and God was helping us to see the weeds and the overgrowth. He wanted us to stop seeing our present situation through the lens of our past. Unpacking old wounds and shame would require us to be continually transparent with each other. Phil slowly flipped through his journal pages. I don't know if I can do this. You can do it. I knew full well shame's power that always demanded secrecy. It's so hard for me. There are things I've told myself I'll take to my grave. I've never shared them with anybody. Phil clasped both his hands over his brow, shaking his head in reluctance. I want to share with you, but I'm afraid of what you'll think about me. Phil, it's okay. Just say it. I gently touched his forearm. I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. Nothing you say is going to make me reject you. Nothing. Besides, they happen in childhood. 
We've all done shameful stuff when we were kids. He took a deep breath and slowly released it, his lips tightly pressed. His eyes were hesitant when they met mine. It's okay, I assured him. Go ahead, you can do it. Phil began telling me his childhood stories, slowly at first, calculating and precise as he remembered the details of things he'd been involved in and done and what had been done to him. While the stories were short, he frequently paused, wrestling with each detail, but pushing past his shame and fear. He allowed me to see the visual representation of his struggle between shame and freedom. Still hesitant, he ended. That's all of it. You must think I'm a pervert. No, I said truthfully. Not at all. That's not what I'm thinking, Phil. These things happen to lots of people. I know this for a fact, because all three things you mentioned happened to me, too. We're not that different from each other. We've just never before been hot about our childhoods. The tension on Phil's face turned to surprise and then relief. Wow. Really? So, what happened to you? As soon as Phil had started sharing his childhood experiences, I knew God was creating an opportunity for me to become free from my past as well. As I told Phil my stories, a burden lifted from my soul. It had been there for so long, and I had learned to live with it. Now it was gone. Like tackling an overstuffed closet of junk hidden away for years, I would open the closet door and see the mess I've accumulated year after year and ask myself, why have I held on to this? What's this stuff doing in here? I knew the junk no longer had value, but I didn't want to let go. This was now my opportunity to be freed from shame. As I shared my shame, scars, and wounds with Phil, I felt immense healing from past wounds. My thoughts cleared as I cleaned out the closet of my mind and threw the junk out to the curb. Phil, I'm so glad we talked about this. I felt free. If we can share our take-it-to-the-grave list, I think we can share anything. I just wish we had done this earlier. Think how different our marriage would have been if we had been this hot from the very beginning. It's hard to describe, but somehow in just a few minutes, my shame shrank and then evaporated into nothing. It was gone. Priscilla's admission of shame over the same three things I'd experienced created empathy and compassion in me. Our shame could simply no longer exist. What had held power over us, over me for 45 years, just vanished as we brought to light the things so long hidden in darkness. I recalled the prophecy in Isaiah 49, 9-10 and felt like the verse was for me. Saying to those who are bound, go free. To those who are in darkness, show yourselves. They will feed along the roads and their pasture will be on all bare heights. They will not hunger or thirst, nor will the scorching heat or sun strike them down. For he who has compassion on them will lead them and he will guide them to springs of water. You may be wondering what our three areas of shame were, perhaps wanting to compare them to the things you're planning to take to your grave. We're foregoing that sharing because comparing baggage, perhaps deciding yours isn't as bad as ours, or you weren't affected by the same things, 
is not beneficial to your confession, freedom, and forward movement. The important point is that you carefully consider what's in your closet of shame and what God wants to do with your junk. As Priscilla says, everybody's got some junk in their trunk. If you want freedom from your childhood shames, bring your junk into the light by sharing it with your spouse. After I shared with Priscilla, I felt new power to be open with others about my marital sins, as I had been with our children. I returned to my action plan created at Four Days to Freedom, confessing to my extended family, who had also been affected by my sin. I reached out to each and arranged times for Priscilla and me to share our story. Each family member had been impacted in different ways by my sin, so to address each unique offense and ask for forgiveness, I wrote the confessions in advance. Coming clean to 19 family members took 65 days. The listeners' empathy, compassion, and affirmations confirmed that God had brought me to that point of release. Admitting my sin decreased my shame, and the responsive support from my family increased my courage and confidence to continue in boldness. Priscilla was with me at the confessions, with the exception of my meetings with my two nephews, ages 24 and 17 at the time. We didn't want Priscilla's presence to inhibit them from asking questions and sharing honestly about anything they may be holding on to or facing. After each confession, most people asked Priscilla how she was doing and whether she had forgiven me. She was always transparent with her feelings, showing her grief and tears but affirming she had forgiven me and that we were not getting a divorce. Each confession was important, but the most poignant was my confession to my mom. She and my dad had divorced when I was 10. After being single for 12 years, mom had remarried two other times. Her second husband had been an abusive alcoholic, and her third husband had passed away. She was now 84. On a Sunday afternoon, Priscilla and I arrived at her home in Leesburg, about an hour from our house. It was the town where I'd grown up, and every time I drove along the familiar roads, memories of high school parties and marching band flooded back but this trip wasn't going to be a party. I was dreading this confession in a different way from the others. My mom frequently boasted about my sister and me to the point of our embarrassment and thought I'd hung the moon. I knew my betrayals would be hard for her to face. She answered the door with her typical energetic greeting and a big hug. She'd always been bubbly and outgoing, loving to be the center of attention, much like me. She frequently talked about her exploits as a standout high school basketball player, even though she was not quite five feet tall, and that she had been valedictorian of her high school graduating class of five. Her father had died when she was nine, and she had endured a difficult childhood as her mother had struggled to manage a farm, run a general store, and care for her three fatherless children. My mother's marriage to my father had lasted only 15 years, but had produced, in her words, Two wonderful children. I'm not sure she ever completely got over the hurt my father had caused. Even after almost 50 years and two more marriages, she'd sometimes cry when reflecting on how much he'd hurt her, all the more so when he'd remarried only a few days after their divorce was final. It was just recently that Mom's third husband had passed away, so I'd waited for this confession to give her time for her emotions to settle. We sat down at her kitchen table. And I said, Mom, 
I need to share some things with you that I've done, things that have affected Priscilla and our family. This is really hard, but I need to be open with you. Initially, mom just stared at me, then slowly looked back and forth from Priscilla to me, like she was searching our faces for a clue of what was ahead. Okay. She said hesitantly, shifting in her chair and recentering her gaze on me. I had decided not to beat around the bush. Mom, I've committed adultery against Priscilla, and for most of our marriage, I've lived a sexually immoral life. Mom's jaw dropped, and she quickly looked at Priscilla, then back at me. She looked astonished as her hands folded in front of her. Her brief silence conveyed that she wasn't quite sure what she'd heard and was trying to grasp hold of the reality. Philip, what do you mean? I explained in detail, similar to how I confessed to our children, but keenly aware that my confession would conjure up her memories of experiences with my father decades ago. With each disclosure, she looked up, down, and around, shaking her head as she tried to process what she was hearing. Eventually, she summarized her thoughts. Sex just makes people crazy. They can't even think straight. We sat in silence as she tapped a pencil to her lips, alternately pursing and relaxing them. Eventually, her mouth set in a tight, straight line, and she asked about our children. We shared how they had taken the news. After a time, she paused and said slowly, Well, we all have secrets. Silence. What does she mean? Is there something she needs to share? I looked at her and said, Mom, do you have any secrets? She paused, her face turning pensive, as though debating how much to share. Then she looked up and formed words that sounded like they were coming from somewhere deep inside her, straight from her gut. Forty-six years ago, I had an illegal abortion. And I've never told anyone, only my doctor and my mother knew. It was right after your dad left us. I was stunned. My mom continued. I went to a bar one evening, and I met a guy and ended up having sex with him. I thought somehow this would be revenge on your dad. I wanted to hurt him so badly for what he had done to us. Well, I became pregnant, and I told my doctor I just couldn't have this baby. I had two young children, I was recently divorced, and I wasn't making a lot of money. I begged him to help me, and he gave me a phone number for a place in New York. I called, I made an appointment, I flew up there and got the abortion and returned the next day. I vaguely remembered the situation because my grandmother, her mom, had come down to Florida from South Carolina to watch my sister and me for a couple of days. Prior to mom leaving, she had been very secretive about where she was going. After she had returned, somehow the topic of abortion had come up, and she'd remarked something about people commonly having a DNC to remove a mass of cells the size of a pen. It had been a strange conversation, and when she'd offered that explanation, I'd wondered if a DNC was somehow connected to her recent trip, but I had never asked her. Now I understood the explanation must have come from the clinic, doctor, or nurse to help mom cope with the guilt that typically accompanies such a decision. Mom, 
I'm so glad you shared this with us. Unwanted pregnancies and abortions happen to a lot of people, unfortunately. I'm so sorry you felt that abortion was your only option. Why didn't you share it with us earlier? I guess I was ashamed of what I did and what I'd gotten myself into. I was a school teacher and thought maybe I would lose my job if I showed up unwed and pregnant. That's the very thing so many young girls dealt with in high school. And there I was, a teacher, in the same predicament. She looked down, her face scrunched with the emotion of her experience and unloading a burden she'd carried so long. Mom, do you believe you've been forgiven? Her gaze shot up. Yes, I've asked the good Lord to forgive me. She stared down again, seemingly deep in thought about having disclosed something she'd planned to take to her grave. Well, I'm confident God has forgiven you, Mom. You know, I think you should share this with Cindy and Bob. They really need to know, and it will be good for you to share what happened. I knew my sister Cindy and her husband Bob would encourage Mom. I was very happy she had unloaded her shame, and I wanted her to feel empathy and compassion from other people who loved her. Okay, I'll email them and see when they can come by. Thank you, Philip. I love you and forgive you. I love and forgive you too, Mom. We all have secrets, and God wants us to bring them into the light so we can be free. A few days later, I received an email from Mom sharing that Cindy and Bob would be coming to see her the following weekend. Cindy is four and a half years younger than me and married Bob the same year I married Priscilla. Our family spent quite a lot of time together. Our kids had all run track and cross-country together, and we'd gone camping with them in North Carolina almost every summer. Cindy's smart and funny and has bright eyes, a quick smile, and an eagerness to know and share whatever God is doing in her life. She had worked as a CPA, like me, but had decided to stay home with her three kids and homeschool them through 12th grade. She had only recently returned to the workforce, refreshing her accounting skills while staying involved with her kids. Bob was analytical and an engineer by training, and he provided a good balance to Cindy. He thought about the details of every problem and frequently poked fun at himself and Cindy. I knew they'd provide empathy and compassion to Mom. I was excited to see what God was doing in her life and eagerly anticipated hearing from Cindy about their meeting. I knew Phil and Priscilla had visited Mama to share their story, so I wasn't surprised she wanted Bob and me to come by so she could talk with us about something important. A couple of months had passed since Phil's confession to us, and I imagine that the news had shaken Mama's world. On the drive over, Bob and I wondered how she'd receive what they had shared. We prepared to help her think through their confession, realizing it probably had brought back some emotions from all that had happened between her and Dad. We resolved to create a safe place for her to express her feelings and hoped she was excited about what God was doing in Phil and Priscilla's marriage. As we pulled into the driveway, Mama opened the door, anticipating our arrival. Her typical happy and bubbly greeting was subdued, and her smile was only slight as she opened the door. She quickly moved us into the family room. 
I'm sure you know that Phil and Priscilla were here last weekend, and they shared with me about Phil's adultery. She paused as if caught in thought, and her hand went to her lips. I just couldn't believe it. She shook her head. They told me they'd already shared this with the rest of our family. It was hard for me to believe he did all that. He's always been a wonderful son, but I know sex makes people crazy. They can't think straight. She paused, collecting her thoughts. I felt so bad for him, and I wanted him to know that other people have secrets, too. So I shared with him something I never told anyone. Bob and I nodded and gave her the time she needed to continue. Philip thought I should share it with you also, and that's the reason I invited you to come over today. With that short introduction, Mama then shared her painful story and spared no details. She described how she had thought her only option was an illegal abortion. As Mama shared, Bob and I exchanged glances and thoughts danced in our heads about Phil and Priscilla's meeting with us only two months earlier as they had shared their story. Bob and I had reflected on our dating story. I was 19 when I first became pregnant. Believing we had no other option, Bob and I had decided I should have an abortion. After becoming Christians, we had openly shared our story with Phil and Priscilla and at churches. Although our children knew I volunteered at crisis pregnancy centers, Bob and I had not shared our story with them, even though they were now almost adults. Within a couple of weeks of Phil and Priscilla sharing their story with us, we had met with our three children and shared our story. Several weeks prior, Phil and Priscilla had met with each of them and shared their confessions, so we'd known that sharing our story with them would probably make them wonder what was going on with our families. Interestingly, only weeks after we'd shared our story with our children, our oldest son had abruptly broken up with his girlfriend, saying the relationship wasn't honoring God. And now there we were with mom and an opportunity to share it again. Mama, I'm so sorry that that happened to you. I can relate to everything you had said because when Bob and I were dating, I also had an abortion. Mama's mouth opened as she tried to form words that wouldn't come. So I continued. I've shared this in the past with many people, and God has used my story to help me counsel women at crisis pregnancy centers, and I'm so glad you shared your story with us because no one should keep secrets like this. They're poison to our hearts. Mama remained quiet, and Bob jumped in. Do you feel like God has forgiven you? Yes, I ask him to forgive me, and I believe he has. Mama, why did you decide to share your story? She paused, her eyes moving alternately down, then up, back to Bob and me. When Philip told me his story, I could see how much pain he felt. Everybody sins, and I wanted him to know that I'd sin too, so he wouldn't feel so bad. Interestingly, that was the same reason I had shared my story with her. As I'd witnessed her painful retelling, my instinct had been to empathize by letting her know we weren't all that different. Transparency has the power to create more transparency. 
And I was glad Mama and I could be open with one another after so many years. Throughout our conversation, her unconditional love as a mother persisted. She showed no shame toward my secret or Phil's. She didn't say, let's just keep this quiet between us, as I had anticipated. We ended the conversation with hugs and a closer relationship. In fact, the entire situation, beginning with Phil and Priscilla's transparency, created a new openness in our family that felt refreshing, like a family's love should feel. In the months that followed, Mama decided to write a book telling her life story, including her abortion and other things she wasn't proud of. Although copies went only to her family, I was so proud of her. Even in her 80s, she'd let go of her shame and discovered the freedom of no longer keeping secrets. What a great blessing for her and us. Cindy and Bob's conversation with mom created another positive ripple, one more ricochet of our freedom from shame. I had been so scared to let anyone see the real me. I had never imagined the impact vulnerability could have on others. I considered my initial confessions to Priscilla and our children, their confessions to us, our confessions of our take-it-to-the-grave list, Bob and Cindy's confessions to their children, Mom's and Cindy's confessions of abortions, my mom writing her book, and the subsequent breakups of my son's and nephew's relationships with their girlfriends. I reflected on all that God had done, far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, Ephesians 3.20. Just a few months prior, I cried out to God for freedom from my past, having no idea He wanted to do much more than free me. He wanted to free our entire family. With everything I'd done and gone through, and all that I'd since witnessed in our families, I understood why I'd had to come to utter despair and brokenness, to become one of the weak things of the world, as it says in Ephesians 3.27, to show God's redemptive love and grace, because when I am weak, then I am strong, 2 Corinthians 12.10. God's plan has always been to use one person's freedom to cultivate freedom in others. Later that week, after Cindy and Bob's visit, Priscilla and I received our STD results. Both were negative. Only a few months earlier, I had been gasping for air at the thought of what an STD would do to my life, marriage, and family. Now I was seeing the greater picture, why God had allowed me to push myself to the edge. I had hated myself and who I'd become, but hadn't known how to be free. In God's amazing providence, He'd known what it would take to break my pride. Sin, secrecy, and pride had pushed me not only over the edge, but down into the lowest pit, where the Holy Spirit had received my full attention. He'd shown how only He redeems your life from the pit. Psalms 103, verse 3. That's what he had done for me. For the first time in my life, I felt fully known and fully loved. It was an amazing place to be. And I saw that confessing my sin had produced an earnestness in my prayers that I'd never before known. 
and had created deep healing in my soul. God had led our families to experience healing as well. Amazing. God had allowed Priscilla and me to participate in not only each other's healings, but our entire families. As family members' confessions drew to a close, we didn't know God was still just getting started with all He wanted to do in our lives. A test was right around the corner. Savage Questions for Reflection Number one, how have you personally experienced the positive effects of vulnerability? What happened? Number two, what's on your take-it-to-the-grave list? How do you feel when you're reminded of something on your list? Are you willing to share the list with your spouse? Number three, how would you describe your story? How much of your story do your spouse and family know? How do you feel about sharing your story with them and believing God will use it in their lives for freedom? Are you willing to trust Him and step out in faith to free yourself and those you love? This is Phil and Priscilla Fretwell. Thanks for listening. Our book, Savage Marriage, Triumph Over Betrayal and Sexual Addiction, is now available on Amazon. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Savage Marriage Ministries. Also, join our Savage Marriage community at SavageMarriageMinistries.com. And remember, it's God who is at work in your savage adventure.